And this is The Yay. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! This Yay is sponsored by Central Works, a new play theater. Central Works is headed up by Gary Graves and Jan Leifler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. And we want to thank Central Works, as always, for sponsoring The Yay. And this is our Bad Summit, Bad meaning Bay Area Directors Summit. And it's something that we've had. Norman kick-started it. For about two months. That's right. For about, uh, yeah, I would say about a month and a half, bringing on all sorts of um, directors and creatives from, I think we've had uh, Tabard Theater. We've had um, the Rain Hansberry Theater. Um, SF Shakes. SF Shakes. Theater First. Yep. And we uh, basically. Central Works. Yes, yeah, Central Works. We've had, um, and now, as of right now, we uh, have opened the door and we expect, you know, more people to come in to talk about, I guess, uh, just you know, their assessments of what's happening in, um, in the Bay Area, Bay Area theater Bay Area. scene. And I'm going to kick it off to you, Norman. Ah, well, so usually you ask what's going on this week, and this week is not much. I mean, you know, just normal for once. I had a normal week, so. Oh, but I did see a show, Reg. What was oh. your week? Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, so I'm pouring some ginger ale. In any case, uh, yeah, we finished up. So I've been part of a project called the Brecht Project, and we put on a show <clears throat> called The Private Lives of the Not-So-Master Race, and it was a Zoom uh, production that we had from October the 27th through the 29th, and we closed up Thursday. Is that right? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Yeah, that's correct. And um, we had you know, a nice audience, I would say at least 33 people per night. So that's Ooh. about maybe rounded up maybe a hundred. I mean, that's not great, but I mean, it's, it's better than a lot. And um, it was nice. It was a nice collaboration. Um, we had one actor drop out at the last minute. Oh. And so we brought in Craig Souza, who I tell you for someone, I mean, it's an art to grab a script and just, you know, from nowhere and just, just ha- that's right. Hammer it, vibe it, name, nail all of the, um, the beats and, and everything. I mean, Craig Souza was just, just awesome. He, he did a magnificent job. So I'm very happy. And um, now it's on to, you know, whatever, whatever else is new. What, what projects uh, have you, do you have going on, Norman? I, at this point, I'm just um, I'm putting some grants out. So nothing that I can talk about, um, except I will say so I will mention one of the things I wanted to do with this wrap up was to sort of check in with the people that we talked to. And these are folks that are established out in the field, been doing Bay Area theater for many, many years. Um, And so I invited Natalie and Kayla to come on because I thought, wow, folks who are at the other end of their careers, folks who are just getting their careers up and going, you know, it might be nice to have a conversation between those two groups. Well, of course, all the folks (laughs) that that we've had on the Yay during this bad summit are busy. I can I can tell you a few. They, you know, I got emails saying, "Oh, I'm sorry. I let's see. I have it here. You know, I've yeah, got a rehearsal. Um, Jan is doing these Zoom meetings. Theaters across the country are having these meetings where they're discussing, you know, how do you move forward in this time of COVID, and and in moving forward, how do you do it with this discussion of equity that's come up? So yeah, uh, let's see. Oh, I'm in the wrong email. That's why I can't see anything. Um, but I know that I got one from Jan. I got one from Rebecca. Rebecca is taking her kids to Rebecca of SF Shakes mm-hmm. is taking her kids to a event. 
Cherry, Cherry Miller, she also emailed us. Um, right. And, uh, and then uh, we may have um, Judith Offer join us in about half an hour because um, she's teaching a class. And so, you know, these folks are wonderfully busy, but that means the conversation gets to be more between us and our audience and these folks who are, I'm hoping, coming up with some questions around what it is we're doing here in the Bay Area and how do we see a way forward. So that's that's sort of the umbrella of it. Um, I think because of the election, I, I want to leave room for current events because we usually talk about current yeah. events. But only, I only had really two things. I mean, right. one, Sean Connery unfortunately passed away. I mean, tell you about I an actor who has made a cultural impact. Uh, so that... That's that's very, very sad. But really, the only current event I have is is three days away from the election. And how do people feel? I mean, I think that I mean, I've read a lot of articles about people being having anxiety and uh, just feeling very tense. And even governors like Governor Newsom basically says that he's preparing for um, violence to happen. So I know that uh, you you guys, you guys who have your uh, mics off, uh, if you can cut them back on and just let me how, how do you feel? About three days. Are you optimistic, pessimistic? Uh, are you? Do you have anxiety? How do you feel? Well, speaking for myself, I would say I am hopeful, but also scared shitless at the same time. Right. You, know, you never know which way the wave is going to go. So I am prepared for the worst, but wishful, hopefully thinking for the best. I hear you. Um, Natalie, how, how do you feel? Um, pretty similar, you know, interested to see what happens, but, but nervous, you know, hopeful that it'll go the way I hope it will. Mm -hmm. Um, and not really sure if, you know, something, if it is violent, if there is a a problem, you know, it's something that I don't think Americans have ever had to think about before. So not since the 19th century. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, so that's a little like, I guess we're lucky that we haven't had to think about it until now as a as a country but uh, yeah it is it is are. very strange i mean we've always trusted our democracy no matter you know there's always losers you know like i felt bad when dukakis won in 88 um, I'm sorry, with I'm lost in '88. That's what I meant. Um, I, and I, and of course, Republicans felt bad when Obama won. So there's always been winners and losers. But having this tension, you're absolutely right. We haven't had this in a very, very long time. And I don't know if there's the demise of democracy or if things will be better or worse if Biden wins. As far as people calming down, mm-hmm. it sounds like you know Trump may be gone, in, you know, in three days, but his supporters will still be there. And right. these are far right folks. So I don't know what the state of the country will be afterwards. Kay- Kayla, uh, uh, how do you feel about things? Yeah, how are you staying sane, Kayla? <laughs> um, how am I staying sane? Uh, great question with uh, not a good answer. Um, you know, a really wise director once told me, um, it's better to keep your heart open to the possibility of having it broken by the world rather than breaking it yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to stay with that and stay optimistic. Um, but I really do feel like no matter which way it goes, there's gonna be some sort of unrest, you know, like yeah. neither side is going to be chill. Some, right, some people are gonna outcome. wake up miserable the next day. Yeah. <laughs> 
Just one last brief question. I mean, do you think that's overkill? I mean, do you really think there'll be, I, you know, when I think of racial unrest, I think of other countries that have really never had a democracy or mm -hmm. a people who has always been so oppressed that they're like, okay, I've had it. And, you know, they just can't take it anymore. We've mm -hmm. never been that way. I mean, even the most oppressed, I, I made the joke on another podcast that even the homeless have an iPhone or an iPad or something like that. I mean, <laughs> you know, right. uh, we, we've never really hit rock bottom before. So is it overkill? I mean, do you really, really expect, you know, serious unrest or upheaval or is this just overkill? People are just worried for nothing. I watched, um, what's it called? Uh, Washington Week which is a horribly dry show. It's as horribly dry as the name implies. It is a boring, let's talk about what happened in Washington this week. Um, and the funny thing was the commentators were all complimenting each other. They were falling over each other complimenting. What was great though was the news aspect of it talked about, for example, take something like the Proud Boys. How many possible Proud Boys are there in the country? At large, the largest number that they've estimated is maybe 15,000, which sounds like a big number until you spread it all the way across America. So that means what? Three guys per state or something? You know, it's just not very many people. Um, I think Trump needed people to be scared in order to get the support that he needs. Uh, so if he loses, it will be because he did not get that support. And I think those people will very quickly realize that Biden is not about to turn the government over to socialism and, you know, he's actually going to help their states. They won't credit him for it, but I don't, I just don't expect, there may be a couple of hot spots. I really don't expect much. And the biggest thing that was, that they talked about was the different swing states. And there are new, Texas is now a swing state. That wasn't true before. So they talked about those states and what the possibility, you know, what the numbers were for the Electoral College, what they look like right now, what it would take for Trump to win, which is everything. He would have to win all of those states in order for him to get to the numbers that he needs to win the Electoral College. All of them. But Texas right now, they're saying, eh, it's looking like it might be purple if it's not blue. Um, you know, Pennsylvania is sort of up, but Georgia is now in play. Florida is now in play. I, I want to try and stay optimistic. I do not think there are going to be riots in the street. Yeah, I don't think so either. I just hope that the I hope that Biden wins by a landslide because then it takes away any pretense of Trump messing around with the courts and all that sort of stuff. I mean, if it's a blowout then we don't have to worry about because <clears throat> I do think that Florida will be so close that Trump could steal it. And it's good that Texas is is moving, you know, I would say pink instead of, you know, solid red. And I think, <laughs> well, I've, I've had a few of my friends move to Austin, Texas, because it's cheaper there. And so right. you have, you know, people moving from the big cities into, you know, the Midwest or the South, like Texas, then it, it you know, the politics change. So that's how right. Beto O'Rourke, you know, has, um, you know, achieved, you know, what, what he's achieved and all that stuff. In any case, politics aside, let's jump into well, the Well, I mean, do, does anybody else want to chime in on that? Are you, or do you have sandbags up? Are you, you know, are you weaponized? Do you put, have your windows boarded up? I mean, I think, um, I think Biden is very clearly going to win the popular vote. But what I'm hoping, honestly, is that there's going to be more recognition that like, we don't have a representative document, uh, a representative democracy. Like it's just, it's not. We live in a place where, I mean, you know, all of us living in California very much don't have a voice in this 
presidential election. Right. Um, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping that people, whether, you know, it goes the way that they want it to or not, are going to start realizing that actually the system we have in place makes no sense. Perhaps something should change. So fingers crossed. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. You guys, Sean? Sanjay, yes. I would say uh, mine you. is similar to that. I think we we had only really one option, I think, the, for the whole United States. And I think after this is over, we need to totally, similar to what Chile did, it's like they totally threw out their constitution. Oh, right. Yes. And I think we need to, to do that because our constitution was written by um, people who own human beings. And so they mm -hmm. weren't thinking of everyone when they wrote it. So I think we need to start over, start over if we can. That would be wonderful, Natalie. Um, yeah, I think uh, sort of echoing what Sean Jay and Kayla said. You know, I don't, I don't know if there's going to be violence. I'm, I lived in Portland in 2016, and so I saw it wasn't violent, but I, you know, smashing windows, you know, protests. I'm more worried if it goes the other way, because I feel like on average more Trump supporters are armed, um, and so that that worries me a little bit. But also just that if Biden does win, I I live in the suburbs. I I worry that the people I live around are going to go back to sleep if he wins. They're going to say, cool, you know, we did our job, we voted, we cared for this election, and now he's going to take care of us. And I don't think that that's true. I mean, I support Biden right. uh, in this election, of course, but I don't believe that he's going to solve the problems on day one and we can all just forget that we needed to care. So I hope that doesn't happen here or anywhere. <laughs> yeah, but my assumption is he will be the new Eisenhower um, we will hopefully go through a period of prosperity. I heard a program a couple of days ago. No, yesterday, actually. A um, wonderful program called um, Economic Update by a Marxist professor <laughs> who teaches economics. And he said, one, he compared all this to what happened with the, the Black Death, the bubonic plague, um, how it destabilized society. Um, and so not only was there death, but there was this economic destabilization, which came back in in the form of a centralized government, a king, Kaiser, things like that. Suddenly they went from the little fiefdoms that it existed to more of a centralized government, but also people moved more towards cities. People started doing other things besides subsistence farming and that created a different energy about what was going on, which he cites as that's what led to folks going, we can't live under a king anymore, and they came here. So he connected all that up, was wonderful. He then also compared it to the 30s and said, we had this, you know, the economy just tanked. And how did we come back from it? Centralized government. Government stepped in. Government helped. And we watched, you know, decades of prosperity because of that. And I'm like, I, that's a very optimistic way of looking at this. I hope that's where we're going. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I'll just say this one thing, you know, to keep it from a current events podcast. But yeah, you're right. It's a shame that it takes failure or it takes us being humbled either by COVID-19 or by an economic crisis for us to reassess where we are and to fix things. Um, you know, it takes someone going into the street and protesting and, you know, uh, the, the chaos in order for us to say, okay, let's reassess how we treat people 
or how we, I mean, I'm still upset that there are 575 children that are separated from their parents. Yeah. Um, but it takes, you know, so it, sometimes it takes failure. My dad would say, as he taught me how to play chess, in order to win, you have to learn how to lose. And when you lose, you can reassess, okay, what did I do wrong? And then you can- Boy, did we lose. <laughs> Boy, did we lose. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, okay. I will hand it off to you, Norman. <clears throat> well, so um, my plan was to, to start off by introducing our moderators, but since we've got one guest right now, we may as well introduce everybody. So Natalie, meet Sean Jay. Kayla, meet Sean Jay. Um, I, I, ask you, I will ask you each to say a little about yourselves, but again, um, for me to toot your horn a little bit, uh, Natalie is uh, somebody I've worked with for at least three years. Yeah. Um, as my assistant program director up at the Eugene O'Neill Dow House, um, part of the Eugene O'Neill Foundation's uh, programming outreach to youth. Um, and so we've been running program up in the hills in Danville for years. Um, and she's just been great at it. And it was so funny because she, I got in touch with her about doing it this year. And she's like, I got a job. So, you know, before COVID hit, life was going in that direction. Um, and Kayla, similarly, I don't know Kayla. I met Kayla because I was doing a thing at Play Cafe and they had brought her in as a facilitator, um, which is one of those fancy titles that could mean you're in charge of everything or it could be the one that you're kind of the gatekeeper. And she did a wonderful job of sounding like she was in charge of everything, but really keeping everybody comfortable and well attended to. Um, and then I found out that she had been bumped out by COVID from Ashland. You were up at Oregon, right? Hadn't made it to Oregon yet, but was a couple you were of days from flying there. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So I was like, wow, these are people who I know are relatively new to the scene. And so I wanted to invite them in as part of this conversation. Sean Jay, I will ask you to toot your own horn. Ta yeah. Sean, was, Sean Jay was a, um, a guest of ours. And I sat there the whole time going, episode have this guy on the show more often. This episode, is ep episode number 146 for those who uh, want to catch up with Sean Jay. Sean Jay and I worked at the Playwright Center for San Francisco. You were a director, a guest director there. And also, I, I swear... I don't know. I guess maybe I, I swear that you directed me on something else, but I don't think so. But uh, no, you've been in and out of the theater scene as an actor, as a director uh, for years and years. And I think you've worked at the, um, I forget where you did Dream Girls a couple of years back. Where? Right, Sean Jay? Well, I, I've been in the Bay Area since 2011. I came from Seattle, Washington, where there I was acting and directing. And so when I moved here, acting was more my focus because no one knew who I was. And so then I slowly became recognized as a director and yes we met through the playwright center's foundation of san francisco and i did the short the short play festival and then uh i didn't get to direct dream girls because that was supposed to be this year at uh oh but you acted in dream girls i acted at berkeley playhouse in 2018 2018 i think it was it was yeah oh so it was on stage in it and then i was going to direct it this year but um wonderful COVID 19 showed itself and that went by the wayside but right. uh, I've done shows at African American Shakespeare Company, uh, Impact Theater, Berkeley Playhouse, um, did a understudy role at Berkeley Rep. Um, so kind of like all over. But directing is sort of my kind of my focus now. But I will never give up 
acting because they kind of inform one another. So it's mm-hmm. sort of and funny thing is I actually did the Iceman Cometh at the Eugene O'Neill thing in Danville four or five years ago. Uh-huh. Ah. Yeah. <clears throat> well we're all. Yeah. I, I I love it. I love it when it connects like that. So yeah, to kick this off, um I'm gonna ask each of the moderators to go ahead and if there's more you want to say about who you are, what brings you to this place, um, and then we'll just start the conversation from there. So, Kayla, can you jump in with a little more about who you are and how you're here? Um, sure, yeah. Um, I am from the Bay Area originally. I went. I started theater in high school at Redwood High School um, and then went to school for film and television production and theater arts, got a double degree, went to Santa Cruz Shakespeare, then moved across the country to Maine to work at Portland Stage, um, then was working at ACT, and then was working as a freelance director briefly and teaching artist, and then COVID, and that brings us to <laughs> um, Yeah, so that's, uh, that's the short and quick about me. What about okay. you, Natalie? Um, I'm also Bay Area, born and bred, um, East Bay specifically. Um, I've been doing theater since I was like seven, you know, camp stuff. Um, And I went to Lewis and Clark College for um, four years. I got a degree in theater with a focus on literature and history. So my main focus is in college was directing and dramaturgy. Uh, I graduated in 2019. So I'm, I'm, you know, just over a year out. and I have uh, worked as a stage manager um, and then with Norman at the Eugene O'Neill um, Studio Retreat, which I was a student at um, the year before I started interning and then working there. And right before COVID, um, I was in rural Virginia working at the American Shakespeare Center as a literary fellow for uh, three months and then COVID. And now, now I'm back here. <laughs> and I just, I actually just stage managed um, I know Katia Rivera was going to potentially be here. Um, she is flying manager. this morning. Oh, okay. She is. She's a grandma, so oh. whenever she can, she goes to see the baby. That's great. I just stage managed Zoom stage managed her uh, staged reading of her and Evie Jean Pine's show, The Invisible Project, which uh, it's a really fun script. And yeah, that's where I am. Well, cool. So. As folks who are looking at what's next, I mean, it's weird. I, as I started to try and frame this, I thought, well, let's talk about Bay Area Theater and what it is. And I really think it's hard to talk about it as a thing. Each of us has our own experience. Um, but in trying to think about what this, you know, what the question of what, what is Bay Area Theater, to put it in terms of challenges, things that are challenging or things that you find are obstacles, um, versus opportunities. And I especially think coming in this COVID moment and coming out of this COVID moment, it seems like opportunities is the best way to look for a path forward. I mean, Kayla, you're, you're shaking your head. I mean, you're nodding your head. You agree? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's, uh, there's a lot of really great challenges and opportunities in this time. I mean, because I think one of the things that I found challenging in the Bay Area scene is just how big the Bay Area is. Um, Mm -hmm. Last fall, I was living in San Francisco, uh, teaching in Marin and directing in Berkeley. And so I would often spend six to eight hours on public transportation per day. Um, 
And with COVID, you no longer have that. And so in some ways, it shrinks our world and allows us to make connections that otherwise would have been extra challenging. So there's that. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of, you know, shuffling things up a bit. It's really, you know, laying the game board flat because no one really is, you know, it's not like you have a Geary theater version of Zoom versus, you know, a basement theater version of Zoom. I mean, you know, there's some software that makes it look fancier than others, but you know, right. not really. Um, so I don't know, there's some leveling of the playing field that maybe is interesting. I, I had a quick observation. It's, it's because, you know, pre-COVID, it seemed like, you know, and we've talked about how theater companies, you know, there's sort of, it's almost like a caste system where you have ACT and you have the Orpheum Theater doing their thing. And then you have community theater and then you have, you know, let's say theaters that are, you know, within whatever the realm or it's, it seems like they're just, just these pockets or corners of, of theater, which operates in their own realm. And COVID-19 has really almost even the playing field where, you know, even ACT or whatever, they have to do, <clears throat> they're confined with the same Zoom readings or confinement that everyone else is. And so I, I find, does everyone else feel the same way that uh, uh, somehow the playing field has sort of been flattened so that now everyone can get exposure or everyone is, it has to deal with the same limitations as everyone else? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a new field, that's for sure. It's a new, the whole terrain has changed. <laughs> I mean, that's what was the, um, was it the Bindlestiff show? You were telling me that uh, in order to do the production that they were doing recently, they told people that they were not, that they were being paid for, um, what was it? They weren't being paid for the, the acting, they were being paid for, was that the Bindlestiff show? Was that page you go, or or you talk about what the one that I was recently in? Yeah. Uh, let's say I was in the Bindlestiff show, but I think that um, if you're talking about the Breck project, I don't think that was that. No, not the Breck project. Was uh, it the Breck project where people were only paid? They were paid a stipend, not for the performance. Uh huh. No, I can't remember. I can't remember. Um, it wasn't playground. That's the only last three things. That no, it I've wasn't done. playground. No, somebody told me it, this it, recently, and I was yeah. like, "What?" It must so, have been Bindlestiff. Yeah. That's the way in order to get this production through. Oh, that's what it was. It was uh, talking about talking to somebody about. So the union equity has a thing, a, a nonprofit arm um, called Theater Authority. And in order to qualify for that, you have to jump through certain hoops. So this theater company's way of dealing with that was to say, this is not a show. We're just paying the actors for this other thing that is not theater related. I'm like, okay, that's that's not going to last very long. That that can't. I don't see that going on. Yeah. Hey, Shanjay, have you been busy during COVID nineteen? Have you been doing Zoom readings at all? I'm going to be honest with me. The Zoom readings don't do it for me. Um, it's it's just theater. I think um, I did one radio play, and then I um, I was invited to do some things, and then I just I just I'm on Zoom for work Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. The last thing I could possibly do for myself is be on a Zoom, trying to be creative. And for me, the the medium doesn't work. I think for me, I, I think because every to your point, like everything's kind of been leveled out. But I think everyone's like hopped on Zoom with this 
passion. And I don't think we realize it's all, it's a camera. We're actually acting for the camera, which is a right. different medium. And I think we haven't adjusted to that. I think we're still doing, we're doing a play on Zoom and we're not realizing that it's still a camera. So we need to act for the camera, which means right. angles. And I, yeah. I commend everyone for <clears throat> doing their best and like the creative backgrounds. I just can't get into it. So I was trying to find a way to go through this. Thank you, Sean Jay. I was trying to find a way to get to this. I'm, I've been having similar issues with this. And uh, Kayla, you have background with film um, work. Do you, does that is that something that pops up at you when you see these Zoom productions? Do you find yourself going, "Wow, these people should just go and take like a first year of basic film work"? This is how you work on the camera. <laughs> I mean, a little bit. Um, I mean, I think that part of it too is that, um, I mean, I, you know, I studied film and theater at the same time. And when I was doing that, my hyper focus was do on film what you can only do on film, do yeah. on stage what you can only do on stage. And so, quite honestly, I feel like stage plays that translate easily to Zoom need some work. You know, because it should yeah. only be able to be done on stage. Right. Um, and, you know, and I think that just putting it on here, it's like, this is, this is very different than being on stage, but it's also, you know, your, your camera on your computer is also not a cinematographer. Right. Not really having either one. Uh, you're kind of in this very strange, in it's not even reality TV, right? It's like right. this very strange in-between space that um, no one, I mean, no one knows how to handle. There's no rules, but also no one seems to be like really nailing it, you know, as far right. as. Right. No. Uh, Natalie, what? You, how are you finding this hybrid? How are you finding working in this hybrid situation? Um, it's interesting. I feel like staged readings are are probably the most successful that I've seen on Zoom because you're you're you are not off book and you are doing it in a more staid, you're in one place sort of uh, situation like the Invisible Project. The reading of it worked because everyone was sitting there and reading. We weren't trying to like act out, you know, blocking. The problem is, of course, that no one can actually be invisible <laughs> in the Invisible right. Project because it's there's no lighting um, other than you know whatever overhead lighting you have. So I, I do agree that I think that, you know, if if a play works perfectly on Zoom, then it's probably not so much like a play, you know, it's a not stage so much play. a stage play, exactly. Yeah. It's a different kind of thing. Um, and I also agree with Kayla, I feel like theater, if you put putting something on, the, on stage that, that really benefits from the liveness and the proximity and the sort of magic that comes from seeing someone physically doing something, is really important and so I appreciate every theater that's trying to make this work and I think it's the only way to make it work right now but um I don't really well, that see was, it yeah, that was definitely forever answer like no we'll never need to do theater again we'll just do it on zoom like, well no <laughs> that's and so that sort of leads to my next question which is what are examples of it working because uh, I've seen things that I thought really worked um in fact like Reg just to point to one, Reg did a piece, uh, The Informer, based on The Informer. Um, and it was it was written in such a way so that it actually did work as a piece of camera, of, you know, being in this medium. Um, I could see it on stage 
as well, but it felt like it really suited the medium. Are there examples of things like that where you feel like you've seen people make this work? And I'll say one other example. Uh, for the playground that Reg and I just did a playground, he had a piece in it and I directed a different piece. And my piece, um, was a, they were all about voting. Suffrage was the theme. And my piece had three knights, like medieval knights, um, talking about the great day of battle. And then you find that you're in a polling place and there is a voter going in to vote. So they are sort of commentary. They're the color commentary on this voter coming in, finding a ballot, finding a booth, getting a pen that works, figuring out where to deposit their thing. That was the whole scene. And it worked, I thought, because for the three nights, they could just be this, just be talking heads. And it was fine. And the other person was able to set up their room so that they could look like maybe they were someplace that you might go vote and they could just walk around but they didn't speak at all so you were sort of observing it would be like watching a security camera you were seeing them do stuff and then you were hearing this commentary and it felt theatrical it felt like it used the medium i would say that is not the the majority of what i've seen or even participated in has been hard you know difficult attempts at trying to make a regular play work in this medium so yeah my question to you though is are you, can you think of examples of ways that you've seen it work or ways you thought maybe that would work i, I just wanted to throw my three cents in uh Please. the the <clears throat> informer thing which i called ang espia that was done by Bendelstiff. as a writer uh and i'll be real real quick um i found that writing for you know zoom I try to make sure there is, you know, as little blocking as absolutely possible. And it sort of works sort of for me because I really like what I would call play of ideas. I mean, I like writing about plays where people are sort of talking and really the dialogue sort of drives the play instead of actual action. The bad side is it can be very expositional, so I have to watch myself for that. But the good side is, especially with, you know, if we're constrained to the camera, you just have people talking to one another. It's almost as if it were a Zoom meeting. And so with Ang Espia, I really just had a mother and a father and a daughter sort of speak to each other. And it's as if the camera is, you know, the other person. So it sort of worked. And the fact that the actors didn't have to worry about, oh, I got to cross here. I got to look here. I got to handle this or that prop. I think, you know, it sort of worked. And to have as little... Um, basically it's it's so dialogue driven that it works so that's the challenge for me as a writer you know if i'm writing like someone may say hey we're doing a zoom thing you know do you have anything for us i can say okay this is these are my limitations this is what i have to work for so that's that my two things as a writer Go even ahead. even more than that though um it felt like like right now my wife is upstairs on a call on a zoom call and it felt like that hey honey blah 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 it felt like that's what they didn't feel to me like they were talking to the camera as if they were talking to each other. It felt like each of them was sitting at a computer. <laughs> and when the kid left, it was because the kid left the computer. Uh, you know, so I like that. But anyway, to throw the question to you guys, what what are uh, places that you've seen where you feel like it's worked or is it just not really working? <laughs> Natalie? Um, I think that, you know, I think it's working because this is what it needs to be, you know, so I think that any any theater that can pull off something that, you know, is working that literally happens is a success right now. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe that's too low of a bar. Um, <laughs> but I really feel like 
you know, making it work in whatever way possible. Um, I think uh, not to harp on and on about my former employers in Virginia, but American Shakespeare Center is all acoustic noise no, and universal lighting. And so they had a bit of an edge coming into like staged readings in that they already- You mean not amplified sound? No amplified sound? Is that what no you No amplified mean? sound, no mics, all, all singing or acoustic sound, you know, musical instruments. And so I think theaters like that, that already had less to work with or, or gave themselves less to work with are, are doing really well. Yeah. Um, and this medium, I also, I haven't personally heard any, but I would imagine, you know, theaters leaning into more radio play style, you know, War of the Worlds, you know, these, yeah. these great, you know, sound effects made by a balloon and a stick, you know, things that really are creative, I think can, can succeed really wonderfully that aren't relying on the technology, but are just using the technology as it is. Okay. And Kayla, I saw you start to jump in. Did you, did you have something? Uh, yeah, I was just, um, I think that one of the more interesting ones that I saw that I don't think, I don't know, I still, I, I still, I, I'm, the approach was really unique was uh, Elizabeth Carter's uh, production oh, for San Francisco yeah. Shakespeare. Um, and they really did a lot of ingenious weaving uh, of live Mm -hmm. actors into each other's frames. I really don't understand how that all worked, uh, but she's brilliant. And I was I was really intrigued, especially because that was towards the beginning to see, oh, interesting. Okay, there's some ways to adapt. Um, but also <laughs> I was watching uh, one of my teaching artist friends had a production on Zoom last night of her high schoolers. Uh, they all were writing environmental uh, themed plays for Zoom. And I was actually, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I personally think that high schoolers are brilliant and wonderful and the entire future belongs to them. They're mm -hmm. amazing. Um, but, you know, they were doing interesting things like thinking about the way that we are experiencing them. Like there was one where um, the actors were looking into a, you know, it's futuristic, future humans looking into a like cage of present humans and commenting on our current uh, situation and like that was interesting because you know you're experiencing that as right. the audience member and it makes sense in your own home and you know there's someone else who's kind of doing this vlog thing and kind of you know calling attention to the fact that he was you know alone and mm -hmm. um so I don't know I'm interested in playing with what are things that make sense in Zoom that maybe don't make as much sense on stage. And I right. think that the people who are exploring that are the people who are finding something special during this time. Oh, very much. I, that's, I mean, that's part of where I'm going with this question is there are things that people are exploring. They're discovering things. And part of that exploration and discovery is discovering what doesn't work. Um, like, I saw the Lear. I mean, Elizabeth is, is one of my best friends. Um, I do not want to see another production like that. I, I, it felt like I worked hard to stay with that production. Um, Sean, Jay, I, I, I'm so glad your name is up there so I keep saying Jay. Sean Jay. Um, any alternatives that you're seeing that are happening now? Things that are... Because this is what... It, what I think of when I think of this time is I remember being here in the Bay Area when 
AIDS finally started to get on the stage. And if you remember that time, a lot of those plays were being very sort of allegorical and not directly addressing the issue. And so now there's this wonderful era of pieces. Not all of them are that successful. Some of them, though, will stand the test of time. They, they manage to be good theater. They tell a story. They move us. They bring us in. I'm wondering if something is going to come out of this COVID era. So I guess that's my question to you. And do you think about that as a director? How could you possibly be working now? What would you do given the opportunity to work now? Ooh, that's a really big one. Um, I think there will be stories after COVID, but I, I don't think it will be stories like what I experienced was having to do zoom i think it would be the experience of loss and separation <clears throat> and how we dealt with that and then that overall global impact i think when it comes to the theater scene i that's going to be fun this not fun but that's going to be exciting to see and to direct when you have uh, a storyteller giving you this premise of these two people who were not able to touch for a year and a half, you know, we're not even oh. to be in the same space with one another and what that did to them emotionally, spiritually, and physically. I think as a director to be able to like sit in a room with two actors and go and pick that apart, that's gonna be, I think, mm -hmm. what comes out of that. I think when we think about this cyber, ex this virtual experience, I think we just have to remember that it's virtual and it's yeah. a substitute for the real thing. It's not mm -hmm. the thing. And I think if we click into that, that this is this is it for now, right? Forever. And I think yeah. if we can slide into that category, we will get through it. And and to your point, you know, theater's doing what they can to mm -hmm. keep theater and creativity alive. And and I kudos for that. I think just for me, right. like I said, I'm on Zoom all the time. So I don't have the bandwidth to like sit for two and a half hours watching something, you know, shifting back and forth from a speaker. It's like, oh, I do that. Right. Now, when I direct one, I think I kind of direct it differently. I go, I say, I tell my actors, don't look at the camera. Yeah. Look off, you know, make, make <clears throat> the person in the room with you. Yes. That way I, I'm observing. And I think to me, that feels more like I'm observing this as, as opposed to like this setup, we're talking to each other. And so right. someone watching this, they're watching us talk to each other. Right. But if they had the camera on them and the camera on me, then they're part of the discussion, which I think kind of feels weird. So um I I think for me, I'm I'm doing I'm directing a show that is a new work, but it's gonna be a radio piece. Mm -hmm. And then I've taken on my own creative outlet of creating my own little talk show where I'm talking to someone where I don't have to worry about Mm -hmm. other stuff so i think right oh you got to tell us more about that we'll we'll promote it for you yeah so i think making it work is good i think we just have to be honest with what we're doing right you well know? that's i mean that's exactly the answer though you're that is an alternate you know instead of doing or trying to do what we were doing before finding things like that yeah tell us more about what it, what it is you're working on oh um so personally i created my own little talk show and uh -huh. it's a long, long form interview where i sit down with someone and I ask them questions about their life. And my goal is in that telling, maybe somewhere along their journey, they can help someone along their journey. Mm -hmm. And so it's just basically 
it's like Oprah, but not Oprah. And it's just my way of staying connected with folks. So it's a, it's a conversation we have mm -hmm. and it's just a way of connecting virtually. And I found them very rewarding, right? So, and I put them on YouTube for people to watch if they want to, but it's more or less for me to get people to connect with one another, so. Bay Area Oprah, I love it. Uh, yeah, send us a link and uh, we'll uh, point people towards it. I, I had a, a question, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, COVID and, you know, this Zoom world, it's changing my, you know, the way that I work in the office. I mean, you know, now, I, I guess my basic question is, do you think that theater will change as a business um, after COVID-19? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I know that property prices are falling down, you know, rental, rent, rentals are, are dropping, you know, landlords are having to reduce their rent. Um, for residents, but I think it would probably also apply to the theater. You know, a lot of theater companies complain for those that don't have a space. Wow, I got to pay so much. I know Linda Ayers Frederick complains about it a lot. Uh, I have to pay so much for, you know, uh, for the space. And now I, I don't know. And it's a question that even I don't know. I mean, will what will theater be after, you know, all of this is over? And it may not be over until yeah. 2022. Um, you know, it's, it's changing actors, it's changing equity, you know, like equity has to now deal with contracts for individuals going oh, on Zoom. Oh, yes. So I'm wondering if anyone has any thoughts. What well, will Dante had his hand up. What will theater be after COVID-19? Well, my hope is that it will be different. I think because there is this, Siloness, I think, if that's a word. I, my hope is that there will be more collaboration, right? So mm. smaller theaters will now band together and work out a way to be this shared space, right? So they'll mm -hmm. they'll all come together. Let's say five medium to small theaters groups come together. They together buy a space that has rehearsal spaces all over and a theater or two or three theaters. Mm -hmm. And then they can share that space, build their, you know, their community in that. And then that way, when one isn't doing so well, they're lifted by the other, right? So it's sort of this, what I would say, this full community building collaboration type mm -hmm. thing that then we're all united, I think. Because so, so that way, when the bigger houses are doing their great things, we still have these theaters are still thriving, mm -hmm. not just surviving. <clears throat> with them so like you know because there's always going to be butts in the seats aspect we got to get butts in the seats but i think well right and we can't bring them back the way we had them before and not not anytime soon right so that's my hope that your know, theater will shift in that way and that we have now seen that everyone is vital everyone is needed and so we can now be a more united type thing because theater is mm -hmm. supposed to art is supposed to challenge the you know hierarchy and all that stuff so right that was uh, part, that of, part of my message to the directors for today was to say i know a lot of you are busy but two things one tell me what you're doing um so that we can put the word out on it because we like to do that but the other one was exactly what you said collaboration if you have a theater company down on the peninsula or in the south bay I'm probably not going down there to see it. The folks in Vallejo aren't. The folks in Santa Clara are not. So why aren't you talking to that company up in Rohnert Park and making a deal with them so that you can do your little South Bay show and then take it up there and vice versa? Why aren't you making those connections? 
<clears throat> and it's something, <clears throat> excuse me, as a young person coming into the theater scene here, that was already in my head. I'm looking, I'm getting to know all these amazing little theaters and nobody is talking to each other and nobody is, is making those connections. And I was like, everybody needs to do this. And I no longer say that. Now I say, I just want to find the one company that will agree to this. Because as soon as we make that connection, and I've seen it happen. Uh, Thick Description was a company in San Francisco. They made a deal with San Jose Stage. And it was every other year, they did a co-pro. And that way, you know, those audiences that are not going to leave the city yep. didn't have to go anywhere. In fact, they could read about it in the Mercury News before it got to town and see it with exactly the same cast. They were They were thrilled. But yeah, to find... You know, all these things we're talking about are different ways that we are hopefully going to move this forward. And I want to encourage you guys, you don't need to keep your mics um, muted. If there's something that you want to jump in on, please do. Um, I do want to touch on a couple things. One, we will mention at the end of the show that Central Works has a radio play. I think audiences are now being drawn to that again. So we'll see if that sticks or if it... And I just read about a new one. In the New York Times, there's a piece... That is being done about James Baldwin, and they're doing it by, they started researching, and they found out there were all these interviews. And they were like, well, we don't want to do, like, transcript theater. That doesn't seem that interesting. So what they did instead is they are piping the sound of these interviews into the actor's ears, and they are, they're calling it channeling it. <laughs> so that is their script, is the audio going in, which means the director is kind of, sending this to you and sending this to you and then mixing it up a little bit. Singleton, that, not John Singleton. Who was the actor in um, Brother from Another Planet? Townsend? Robert Townsend? No, not Robert Townsend. Okay. Um, it, he was an alien who came down. He had dreads. He works all the time, but I can't think of his name. Anyway, he was a part of this project. It's in the New York Times this week. Um, so we are finding these ways to find ways forward. I agree with Sean that the there are limitations on what this Zoom thing is going to be able to do without making some adjustments. Um, and the number one thing that comes to mind to me is funding. Right now, the funders are giving away money. You already have a grant from somebody. It was for a production. They're saying, don't worry about the production. Spend it on whatever you need to. Jan and I were talking, Jan Zweifler and I were talking yesterday, and she's like, I don't know that they're going to do that for more than another year. At a certain point, they're going to find a specific, because right now they're really saying just spend it. <laughs> they're not going to keep doing that. They're going to turn that around. So I think we're going to have to see new models grow out of this. And we're going to have to offer them. <laughs> yeah, to, to jump off of what Sean Jay said about like the optimist in me, believes that hopes for this sort of decentralizing communal theater, you know, artists coming together. And, and making it work, you know, and sharing resources and sharing art. Uh, the pessimist in me, you know, as an early career, probably early, too early to be a pessimist, but the pessimist in me says, you know, the first jobs to go are the ones that are, you know, the, the first people in. And so mm -hmm. I worry that if the economy doesn't, you know, radically improve, if the landscape doesn't radically improve, then theaters will have to close ranks around the people that they know that they can count on. And, right. and, so, and shut out the people that they would be taking a chance on. You know, the first right. jobs to disappear off of the websites were fellowships, internships, you know, apprenticeships. Yes. And, and I think that it could go either way after, the, after we have hopefully a vaccine, you know, after things start to turn around. I don't know which way it'll go. 
I hope, I hope. The president promised that a vaccine would be here before the election. He promised. Mm, yeah, and he never breaks his promise. Right? <laughs> I love Sean Jay's expression. <laughs> Not what you want to take, boo-boo. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, um, it's it's going to they have to spend money that was i finally started applying for grants because i was like wait a minute they gotta spend this money when it gets to the end of the year they need to say we spent this money <laughs> that's what foundations do um so i was like oh i gotta jump in on this and especially right now it's wide open so i i hope that's going to be part of the landscape going forward but the other thing that popped into my head as you were talking was the this equity thing that has come up I think as it reshapes the opportunity to say, let's kind of fix this, let's adjust this. So I'm wondering if you guys have had any experience with that. I know, and Jan is not the only person, Jan Zweifler with Central Works, I've talked to about it. I've talked to Jim Kleinman from Playground about it. And they are in these basically weekly Zoom meetings with country companies from across the country talking about how do you do this because when you're a small company like central works or even playground playground has two people on staff so how do they get to 50 percent equity you know how do they get that when they got two white people is somebody about to lose a job can they afford to bring two other people in so they can get to 50 percent they are wrestling with those questions and i love that they're wrestling with it they're not just saying we can't do it they're saying oh so have you guys had a chance to tap into this conversation at all, this equity thing? Because I do think it's going to be a part of how we move forward. Kayla? I think it, I think it kind of, I mean, my, my fear about it is that it might go <laughs> in hand with uh, what Natalie was talking about. Um, because, I mean, for example, I, I had a fellowship with ACT. And I spent the latter half of my fellowship talking to management and HR about how I thought it needed to change because I didn't think that it was a system that was fair, that was inclusive, that, um, I don't know, that you know, I just did not love that the way- That was constructive. It. Yes. Um, and they made no change the following year. And then after that, which was this year, but this decision was made before right. COVID, um, they just decided to cut the fellowships. And I think, I mean, my, my you know, pessimist self is kind of assuming, you know, I had kind of laid out like, here are some ideas that I have of how to make this more possible to like, you know, maybe a smaller number of fellowships, but you're investing more money into that. So it's more, you know, uh, more people can have access to it, et cetera. Um, and they just cut it. And so my understanding is kind of, they were like, well, we can't figure it out. So let's just throw it in the trash, which I hope is wrong. And um, I hope, you know, they still are keeping on the back burner and are rethinking it. But what I worry is that there are going to be companies who are like, you know, they're, they're having these, have had these really, insidious and ingrained um barriers to entry and you know places where we're cutting off uh you know anyone who's not white and privileged essentially um and they're just kind of like 
well, this is really hard and we can't figure it out and we don't have that much money and like money is so hard and like, how do you figure these things out? Um, so I'm hoping that doesn't happen, but I'm a little worried. Um, I don't know. You know, yeah. part of me is also no, like, Sean Jay, you read any of this? Round, book? Restart. Um, what? Who's oh, that? there you are. <laughs> Sean Jay, have you read any of this stuff? Like the, uh, we see you and, of uh, of. Uh, Gosh, I can't even think of them all. Um, right now, I'm reading the Chi Chicago Theater Standards. Um, we're talking about a lot of this stuff with Playground to try and wrestle with these. Have you have you encountered this discussion? I so part of my history is when I was in Seattle, I did diversity, equity, inclusion work at a at an organization. And so, like when everything started to blow up. Uh, nationally here and everyone's doing their um what is it the statement of um solidarity right like just keeping it real i was like please y'all <laughs> yes let's, let's not do this and i think it's it's one of those things if it's truly something you believe in you find a way to do something right mm -hmm. and if it's something you don't believe in you will cut fellowships you will do that and i say both of those are fine because we see you right so if right. that's who you are, be who you are. And that's and that's fine because then we will make a decision that's right for us. And I think when those organizations decide, well, it's something we can't do, it's not a priority, so we're mm -hmm. gonna just cut this. And that's fine. Yeah. Because then hopefully we as a community can take note of that and go, well, that's who they are. We can decide to work there or not. Right. But then I think those organizations who are struggling with it, that's okay to be in the struggle as long as the struggle doesn't freeze you, right? And right. So even if you're trying to do 50%, I think being realistic, if, you, if there are two white people who are running this organization, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, right. there's nothing wrong with that. It's what you do with that is yeah. my point of view. So like, if you are two white folks running an organization, but you want to be equitable and equal, the work you do in your organization will reflect that. So then we see you as an ally. We see you as someone right. who is doing the work and like I don't need your like your heart if if you're if you're a two member team right. you're running a smooth machine yeah machine is equitable fair inclusive and supportive we good because right. now I can recommend folks to you now if you're a two member and your whole board and you have a board and yep. your board also is white yep. then we have a problem right? yeah because then you're just sort of echoing what's already in place but I think. For, to your point, like the two two members who are running this, right? They don't have any other support. They're doing what they can with what they have, right? Support and guidance, and we great. I think this whole uh, solidarity thing, equity, looks differently for everyone. Yep. Inclusion looks different for everyone. Oh yeah. And it's noting it. Right. It can't be one size fits all. Exactly. So you guys decide what what you're going to look like and how you're going to roll down this path. And then this organization has decided the same thing for themselves. Like ACT, Berkeley Playhouse, Berkeley Rep, they're all going to look different. Oh, yeah. And that's fine. It's just that in that difference, is it equitable? Mm -hmm. In that difference, is it, you know, inclusive? And that, to me, is what I look at. It's sort of like, it's like gets joining a relationship with someone. It's like, so are you a bigot? Are you a misogynist? You know, like, <laughs> where, where are you falling in that realm? And then I'm going to decide if I want to go on a date with you, right? So right. 
if I want to get involved with you, I'm going to look at your history and right. Because it's partly what they say, but you're right. It's what they do. Yeah. Um, and I know with the small organizations, so one of the things is there's supposed to be this sort of monitor that they're supposed to commit to. Well, if you're a small organization, you don't really have the money or the, you know, the bandwidth for that. But they're all talking about how they can share that resource. And I'm like, there you go. That makes sense. Or the other suggestion that came out of it was... Um, that there should be like a monthly check-in um, that is made available for folks to just sort of check in with anything. And it's like, well, that makes sense. But let's say I'm a Bay Area actor and I work regularly. So I work at five companies a year. Am I supposed to go to five of these? Didn't I already do it the first time? How many times do I have to do it? And again, they're having that conversation about how do we share that so that it isn't just rehashing the same thing and that we can make it fit with our little organization or not so little organization. But I love that the two white people are very much going, well, if we're not going to lose our position, where else can we get some people in here? And I'm like, okay, that works. That That's good. Natalie, anything you want to add to that? Um. Uh... I mean, I know, it's a big, it's a big conversation. <laughs> it's a big conversation. And, you know, I also feel, I, I agree um, with everything that was said basically, but also that I don't think, I don't want it to become, or I would hope it wouldn't become a situation where it's like, okay, so we're going to do what we do, but then we're going to make, you know, people of color or minorities or women sit down with us every month and tell us what we're doing right and wrong. I'm like, because then you're just forcing people to teach you every month you right. know, what you're doing. And I don't think that's, that's fair. But I do think well, they're talking about paying them opportunity. Though. Oh, well, paid. That's good. Um, <laughs> but like giving the opportunity to to like opening yourself up to hear the the, criti the criticism and the critique and the, and the ideas, but not mandating that like someone has to keep teaching us how to be better. Because I do think you need to take the time to teach yourself. Um, well, I, I also think we're going to go through this period where it's going to be a little bit of both. It's going to be a little bit of, yeah, you need to push in that direction. The big one is the um, Native American, the indigenous people. That's like the first one on the list. And and I every time it comes up, I'm like, I don't know any indigenous playwrights. Yeah. I barely know any indigenous actors. I well, definitely you, don't know any do, directors. You do know one, Linda Amayo Hassan. She is half uh, Latina and Native American. So, hey, yeah. But so those people, I think it's going to be great if there's a little short list of folks who suddenly are busy everywhere because everybody's going, we don't know who else to talk to. It's a start. Yeah, I was going to throw just one thing just talking about, you know, inclusivity and I don't want anyone to think that, well, you know, if you're white and you're a part of a theater company, then you have to, I mean, if you do need to make a change, then obviously you do. But, you know, I, I look at uh, Susan Evans as an example, you know, she was part, she was the artistic director of Town Hall Theater before they let her go. And what did she do? She brought in Don Monique Williams as a director who brought in Civil War Christmas, you know, which right. a wonderful portrayal of a Christmas story, but basically done in the backdrop of the Civil War and bringing in all these diverse stories and characters in, which was a wonderful foretelling of that. And also Dominique had directed Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, which talked about women's issues in a very realistic set, also in a madcap comedy. But Susan was making a, a message. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's it's very, very zany, you know, almost tel telenova. But in any case, it worked. And I think Sheila, we had Sheila um, Viramonte is on who won a um 
a TBA award for uh, for a song that she sang called Invisible, talking about a middle-aged woman who felt invisible. But in any case, that was a message that Susan Evans brought in as an artistic director, not even stepping on the stage, but making a statement by bringing on individuals, different different you know uh, race, different diversities and the story of diversity, bringing in actors like me and a bunch of others. Um, I don't know why Town Hall let her go, but that would be one example of an individual who came in, who pushed away her own privilege and says, hey, I need to open up the door for other stories and other people to come in and tell their stories. And, you know, other, if you had individuals like that, throughout the Bay Area, then we wouldn't have, you know, the, these conversations wouldn't, wouldn't be necessary. We wouldn't have to talk about, sure. you know, why can't, you know, why can't we get our stories in? Well, and, and as Sean Jay said, if these people do it, then we're going to go, okay, I'll work over here. And then when these people don't, I'm going to tell everybody, <laughs> you got to be careful when you go work with those folks. So exactly. exactly. I'm, I'm curious to see as we move forward, if that's something that develops as part of the new culture or you know or where it sticks because it feels to me like it's going to stick in some places i go ahead go ahead yes well, i would add to that so i think the cautionary not tale but is that there's i guess three categories of those type of organizations ones that do it mm -hmm. but do it authentically and also there's support behind the scenes for those uh, people of color and women and uh, marginalized folks who are in that group so that when they are in the rehearsal hall, they see themselves reflected production uh, uh, <clears throat> design wise so yes. that they, they're not the only, so like there's that, you know, you're doing it and there's like the landscape, everyone mm -hmm. looks diverse, but it's really not diverse. And right. so that's my, my concern is that you're, you're fully embracing it. Whereas there are those who actually do it. And then when you go in rehearsal, you see the lighting designer is a person of color or the right. uh, props person is a woman. So you actually see it mirrored and then the culture is supported so that when there is a conflict or a misunderstanding, it's yeah. sort of like, oh, this is one of those situations where, just keep it real, oh, this is how black people are. And so right. they understand that. And then oh, this is, this is a, uh, this is a, oh, and it's not like, oh, they're just difficult. You know, uh, it's mm -hmm. the understanding is fully there. So I think there's the ones who don't do nothing, the ones who do it, but that aren't really doing it because it's not right. supported. And then the ones who are embracing all aspects of how it all falls in line and how it looks to be supported on all levels of the design team and the creative team and all that stuff. So No, I think you're right. I think we're going to see all of it. I think we will see all of it. And it will be a question of, well, and, you know, part of all of this has been this calling out culture, the um, the living document, yeah, um, which I love having to talk about when somebody cites something specific, because I can't read that thing. Somebody cites it, and then I go through, and I'm like, oh, damn, okay, how do I feel about that? I love that it's forcing a conversation that wasn't there before, I, and I'm thrilled for the brave people who are doing it, even when I do, like you said initially, Sean Jay. Ah, come on, please. What? <laughs> You're complaining about what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that was created by Eli Sonny Orkiza, and he was uh, episode 139 on the A. As a matter of fact, he was our first interview for this year, 2020, before uh, 
COVID and all that stuff happened, even before the the document happened. So, well, the other piece. So I'm I'm want to start to think about wrapping up, but we've still got some time. Um, so the one piece I want to throw at you guys is uh, this notion of collaboration, going back to that idea, and new connections. What are the new connections that you find that you've had or that have become available to you under this? And the example I'll give is Reg and I ended up doing a reading with somebody from, oh gosh, what was it, Charlottesville? Yeah, Charlottesville, Virginia, yeah. Yeah. Um, we, she, was a re, she was in a reading with us and then got in touch with us and said, well, we're actually going to do radio golf. Would you guys be available? I was like, yeah. <laughs> You know, why not? So what are the places where you're finding in this weird time of can't get the work that you're used to getting? What are these new connections that are happening? Anybody? Um, I mean, it's not really a new connection for me, but, you know, um, I've been meeting up on Zoom with friends from college and doing like little devising pieces just practicing you know which i hadn't been doing when i was working full-time because mm -hmm. you know working full-time i don't have time for that so that's been kind of nice to sort of revisit a sort of educational theater mm -hmm. practice you know no one's ever going to see it you know it's never going to be a thing um but we can do that because they live in portland and i live here we couldn't right. do that when i when i wasn't so that's been very nice yeah to be able to make that connection kayla any connections you've been making that are at a distance <laughs> Um, or in new I mean, ways? Yeah, I, 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 I guess I'm not, I also am not sure if any of mine have been very new, but I mean, I do also think that the beautiful thing about creative people is that when we get any hint of being bored, we get creative. Um, and so I think with this, you know, newfound hint of time of being bored where we're all like, wait, <laughs> not every single hour of my day is scheduled and packed with rehearsals on a million different things. Like I have time to be bored and to think about what else I might do. No commuting. Um, yeah, right. So I, um, with that, I've been able to, I'm collaborating with a, you know, somebody I've worked with before and we're uh, writing something together. I'm also hey. helping develop a friend's play. Um, you know, just doing doing some work over Zoom where it's like, I would like to say, I, and I, I think, you know, I would get around to doing it or like something like it at some point, but being able to say, you know, like I'm distance visiting a handful of people. And besides that, you know, calendar is very limited. And so what uh, in that free time, what can I be doing that is still keeping the creative spirit alive um yay and yeah yeah so happy to be working with some cool people over this time and Chanja, you had mentioned a couple of things you're doing do you feel like that's feeding into the future or is that just keeping you keep like she said keeping the creative spirit the juices flowing well for me i think mine is kind of both and so i'm working with nctc on a the developing a piece with uh, a playwright that they worked with they did his uh, This Bitter Earth back in 2017 or 2018. Mm -hmm. They um, commissioned that. And so this is like a follow-up to that piece. And mm -hmm. so it's a radio piece. And so working with the playwright to workshop it and get it ready. So that that's a new experience. And I think from that, so speaking of equity, so this piece is by a Black American uh, playwright. 
and so the artistic director, um, oh my gosh, Ed, Ed, Ed and Decker, so, Ed Decker, he was like, I don't think I should be the one helping on this piece. Yay! So it was sort of like, oh, and so he connected us together, and I was like, I think that is an example of an organization striving to do the work, right? So he recognized mm -hmm. oh, as a white man, I probably shouldn't be doing this. And so he found a proper fit. So I think that's a commitment for that. So I'm doing that. And then I, um, I connected with a company up in Seattle where I used to live because a friend, a good friend of mine lives there, recommended me for the, uh, the radio play. And so I connected <laughs> with them. And so it was Harlequin. So I think it's, it's being open. I think to someone's point is it's just being mm -hmm. open to whatever presents itself, mm -hmm. not being too closed off to the possibility of making those connections and knowing, not knowing where it might come. It just may be for the moment, but it might be somewhere down the line. So I think I appreciate that because I met these great new uh, playwright and actor mm -hmm. CC uh, uh, gig. So it's like, I probably would have not have met them before, right? So this is really nice and, and working That's with cool. in different capacity. So. Reg, I know you're you're finding yourself really flexing that muscle as a writer now. This this period has has really just you were already doing stuff, but suddenly it's like it's taken on a new life. Reg is now working with Playground as one of their cadre of writers, and yeah. then projects he's developed himself. But these other projects that have just sort of popped up, it's absolutely. And uh, I it's it's odd. I, I know I would never think I would think well with COVID-19 because I was stage managing, I was helping Plethos with a piece called Tiny Beautiful Things. And uh, of course, that got shut down. We were doing it at the Douglas Morrison Theater. And I was like, Oh, damn, I guess I'm not going to be productive at all. COVID-19 is going to shut everything down. Psych, mm -hmm. not really, because I was able, and I think it's a lesson to learn for, you know, any budding actors or writers or whatever. Basically, you know, when I did Ang Espia, I was writing a bunch of stuff for the Breck project and they had, they had accepted one judicial process and they had said, well, we, we don't want to do the other one, uh, the informer. So instead of having a script that just, you know, was just collecting dust, I was like, well, let me take this time to reach out to other theater companies that may need content and see what they say. And I already had a, a nice collaboration with Bendelstaff having acted with them uh, twice in Stories High. I'm looking at posters right there on my wall. And, um, Aureen Omario, who is the artistic director, she was on the A. She was like, yeah, you know, we need content because we don't know what we're going to do with COVID-19. And I sort of started their, um, I forget what they call their, their writing project, but basically they, I think once a month, have these um, storytelling um, sessions, Zoom sessions, where uh, budding playwrights can put, put on their new works. And mine was one of the first ones, Ang Aspia, and it got really good response. Not only that, and I'm probably jinxing myself, but a friend of mine who lives in New York, uh, who I helped, uh, I did some sound work for her when she came to the Bay Area and we worked on, um, what is this? It was a musical, um, Heathers, Heathers. Oh, uh -huh. <laughs> and, um and she surprised me by posting on Facebook that she is a writer. I mean, I'm sorry, she's a um, an illustrator. She does oh. artwork. And I was like, wow, I've got these scripts. So I've been writing these uh, eight one acts sort of based on the Twilight Zone called The Edge. Oh, right, yes. And yeah, I gave you a couple of my uh, scripts and I was like, okay, so I've got the work. Now I need to you know, um, try to promote it or produce it or something like that. 
So I'm collaborating with her. I don't know if it's really going to work or if she's, you know, it's I'm crossing my fingers. Uh -huh. But I figure a Zoom idea would be animation. If I can work with an animator and have actors just provide their voices and uh -huh. have the artwork do the work of the video, then that would be a sort of a new way for me to sort of get my works out there. So, Sweet. you know, it's it's something that I've got in the oven, in the proverbial oven, mm -hmm. but it's another, just as what you were saying, um, you know, we artists have to find a way to use the limitations we have to sort of get our works out there and also think it from a different perspective. We can't do it the theater way because, you know, theater is theater and Zoom is Zoom, but there are other alternatives. And if you can step out of the box, then you can really create something very new and innovative. Very cool. Well, I'll, I'll make sure my agent gets in touch with you. I, <laughs> I, I, can, do, I can do voice. Um, so yeah, to wrap up, um, I had asked you guys as moderators if you had questions that you wanted to bring in. So now is a good time for them. <clears throat> Anything that you want to probe or discuss? <laughs> Um, and of course, Sean Jay, you, down, I think as an audience, you are also welcome. We covered ahead, a lot of them. Um, um, Everybody's searching. Reading <laughs> uh, <we laughs> our shared Google Doc. Yeah. <laughs> but it, well, we've had a really awesome discussion. I mean, you know, how do you, I mean, you know, we got a lot out. Do you feel that it was a productive discussion? Yeah, I, you know, for me, I, I, I feel, and I think I posted it when I posted it on Facebook, I was like, Oh no, it was actually in my answer to the the invitation to the directors was thank you for a wonderful birthday present because my birthday was in October and I take a whole season. I do not celebrate a birthday week, month, I celebrate a season. And for this season I got to talk to all these different directors and talk about the thing that I love, which is doing theater and how do you make it. So, you know, I'm happy that you guys were able to jump in. Did you find your questions? I mean, one, one question that I guess maybe we've kind of touched on, but could be maybe fun for everyone to just hop in and um, answer. Um, we were wondering what everyone misses the most about theater and therefore what you look forward to most post-COVID. Hmm. I'll be honest, just touching and I mean, I just, um, there's just something about looking at someone face to face and uh, I, I, you know, walking into a theater, um, there's an adrenaline that I get, you know, walking on the stage and the ambience and the acoustics, but also just looking at a, uh, a cast, you know, let's say if I'm an actor and I'm looking at, you know, a co-actor, you know, someone I'm doing a scene with and reading, you know, whatever, because it really motivates, you know, beats and objectives and what I'm doing and how I react. You know, I think this theater is such a reactive uh, medium, I mean, a reactive art form that um, sure you can sort of do that, you know, via Zoom, but a lot of times when I'm doing the Zoom acting stuff, I'm looking at the script, I'm checking to see if the bandwidth is correct or, you know, if there's some audio issues like I'm cutting out or something like that. Lighting, yeah. Yeah, there's all sorts of crazy stuff. But, you know, really, if it is one thing, just looking at a person in their eyes and reacting and acting, the, the back and forth, that's the one thing that I miss the most. Mm. Anybody else? I miss the creative energy shared in a room mm -hmm. that comes from exploring a script, a line, a moment. So just being in the room and just feeling the energy of creativity, I miss that. 
Natalie? Um, similarly, I miss the, I, I, I miss just being involved in the process in a physical way, you know, standing mm -hmm. on the stage, sitting in the audience, sitting in the booth, <laughs> um, that it's all in this box, you know, right. is, I miss that, I, I miss that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I can totally feel it. My first impulse was to say I miss live auditions, but then I realized I've actually picked up a couple of gigs, and it was before COVID, but I picked up a couple of gigs because of video auditions. So I don't hate it as much as I hated it before it was required. <laughs> and maybe, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, I'm finding it a very fruitful time, ironically. I'm finding it having the time to sit and think, or as you put it, being bored. <laughs> and then going, well, what do I want to do? Because I know the stupid things I'll do, like I open up a bag of chips, and you know, before I know it, the bag is empty. And I'm like, wow, I just sat there and ate a big bag of chips. What else could I be doing with my time? I, I, I guess I miss that. But what I find is I am asking myself, what else could I be doing? And I'm doing it, so... Uh, yeah, being able to freely hang out with people. Hugging. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I don't know how many times I've seen friends in the last couple of months where finally we made the time and we get together and we're all masked up and somebody starts coming at you with their arms open and I'm like, oh, <laughs> no, sorry, we, we, we don't get that's, to do that yet. And that's very tough for me because I come from... Although I grew up in Washington, D.C., you know, it's called the Chocolate City. And, you know, we're very, very, what do they call it, tactile. I mean, I, I just want to give, you know, a hug. And when I visit home, mom, aunts, uncles, you know, hey, sweetheart, give me a hug. And, you know, that's just something that I grew up in. And it's very, very difficult to not touch people. Well, hopefully this time next year we'll be back to doing that. Um, any last thoughts, questions before we start to wrap up? No? Well, well, thank we're you. so glad that you guys made time for this. And I'm, like I said, I'm thrilled that we got to do this whole summit and chat with folks. And I'm looking forward to just turning the reins back over to Ridge and say, who, who are we talking to next week? And I know who we're talking to next week, but after that, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. All right. Yeah. And I, I want to echo that as well. I mean, the bad summit, I mean, you know, we, we at the A, the objective that we, ha we and Norman have is to bring in people from all aspects of theater life, actors, directors, stage managers, owners of theaters, uh, writers, to really get a full and comprehensive perspective of what's going on in the Bay Area. And this bad summit is, is, is sort of the cherry on the top. And I'm glad to give the keys to Norman and I'll get the keys back. Even I don't know who we're going to have after November the 7th, but you know, we'll, we'll see. But well, I definitely want to Hopefully thank every new president. That's who we'll have. <laughs> That'll be nice. That'll be really nice. I'd hate to leave because, you know, a lot of folks are like, hey, I'm moving away from D from America if we have to do with four more years of Trump. But in any case, mm -hmm. no, I'm thinking positive thoughts. But mm -hmm. I, I, we really want to thank everyone for for joining us. Um, shout outs, birthdays. Birthdays. Uh, first one is, whoa, come on. Just give me my page. Well, I know the first one is today is uh, Belly Sullivan's birthday. And um, I first met her at the African-American Shakespeare Company, and she was fantastic. What are you, what is your problem here? Oh, I have her on as well, yeah. I, oh, I don't you do know, have her. I don't know why I have her, because I've never act, worked with her, but. Oh, and then, so then, uh, when I started the Oakland Public Theater, uh, we had signed up to do a play, and this other producer swooped in and took it. It was going to be a world premiere, and they actually had some money. 
so the playwright was like, well, they have money. Can, can we do that? And so I suddenly had to create a whole new show. And I ended up making her like the center of it. I was so thrilled. So I have her birthday and my page is frozen. So I can't tell you any. If you got them, go for it. Uh, yes. So uh, also along with uh, Billy Sullivan, Aaron Hahn, I've talked about him. His birthday is today. He is a writer and an actor and I, I work with him. We did um, Lifetimes 3, which is by uh, Yasmina Reza, a very, very abstract uh, experimental theater piece directed by uh, Cecilia Palmtag and uh, Aaron Hahn. His birthday is today. I can keep going or... Uh, yeah, go for it. I'm okay. <laughs> waiting for this to load. Sure. So on Monday, Alexis Green, she is a local actress, and now she does a sort of holistic um, therapy. And so uh, I've, and I've told her, hey, listen, you know, come, if you want to come on the A or have us advertise what you do, then, you know, we can go ahead and do that. So, but I'm, I'm going to, you know, uplift her. Her birthday is on Monday. Also on Monday, Richard Harder. He is the uh, former... Uh, artistic director of Off-Broadway West. Off-Broadway West was uh, unfortunately one of the casualties of COVID-19 and just uh, um, um, gentrification in, in general. They basically were just outpriced and they sort of closed shop and he and Barbara, uh, his wife, is living in Oregon now. But uh, his birthday is today also, I'm sorry, Monday. Also, Bruce Kaplan, his birthday is on Monday. He and I acted in 110 in the Shade. He is an older actor, I think uh, over 70 years old, but still doing it. So that's awesome. Uh, Wednesday, a uh, fabulous actor and a fabulous guitarist, Brant Blower. He and I acted in Water Buffalo. That goes back to 2001. And uh, he has... Um, and we've also gigged and, you know, I'm also a songwriter. So he and I have collaborated on a bunch of stuff. <clears throat> he met his wife, Joanna Blower. Um, she was a Philippine singer and she came to do a, a show and he was a part of that. And so they sort of fell in love. And that's that's wonderful. Oh, love story. <laughs> yeah. So I should also say on February of next year, we're going to have a special one month of just having uh, how lovers have Yay. come together uh, via theater, and we'll have that. So if you if you met your loved one uh, via the theater, um, come on the A, and we'll we'll uh, tell your story. So sure. in any case, Brant, his birthday is on Wednesday. Also on Thursday, David Patino. So I mentioned that I was stage managing uh, Tiny Beautiful Things, which would have gone on if mm -hmm. it had been for COVID this year. David Patino was one of those uh, actors who was in the show. Fantastic young actor. He's just starting off his uh, theater career and his birthday is Thursday. Also Thursday and also speaking of the town hall, um, not town hall, but um, Douglas Morrison, Terry Sullivan. Terry Sullivan is an administrator. <clears throat> he is an individual who has not been on stage. He doesn't do tech, but he is still very much part of the Bay Area uh, theater community because he makes sure people get paid and he makes sure that uh -huh. you know, the ship runs. So, um, and he, he has a daughter who is actually in New York as a struggling actress and uh, he's very, very supportive of her. And uh, Terry's been fantastic. I remember when I got the call from Terry, he's like, hey, listen, we're not doing tiny beautiful things, but you're still getting paid. So don't worry about it. And I was like, hey, Terry, thank you so much. So Terry, his birthday is Thursday. Yay. And that's it. That's all that I have. Okay, I've got uh, Shalandra Ingram, uh, who is actually a producer. I met her through Tondiwe, who says hi. Um, he was in Tondiwe, Dishizor, was in town this weekend visiting the Bay Area. He lives in Atlanta now, but he says hi, Ridge. 
Um, Shalandra is a producer I met with through him when we were working on a solo piece of his. Uh, Andre, Andre's birthday is coming up, day before the election. Actor who I've known in the Bay Area for a long time, and now we end up doing the uh, UCSF standardized patient thing with uh, medical students. Uh, Kirk Christ, one of the first actors I met when I moved to the Bay Area. We were working at a cafe together, and he was doing a show up in Richmond, Private Eyes. Private Eyes, yeah, is that, yeah. Is that not Private Eyes? What is that called? Short Eyes, that's what I'm thinking. Short Eyes is very weird prison play. Um, uh, Robert Elhai, somebody I went to high school with, his birthday is on the election day. Uh, he is a composer, so sometimes I'll go to the movies and I'll see his name go up on the screen. He does music for a film. Uh, Dan Bruno, major Bay Area theater person. Mia Pashal, Bay Area theater actress. Susie Butler is somebody I got to help develop a show about Sarah Vaughn. I, I am thrilled that I got the opportunity to do that. And those are all the ones I have today. Do you have any shows? Wow, small world. Mia Fashal. I remember. You know Mia. And, okay. Well, yeah, I um, it's it, I was going to do sound for her, but I guess, you know, um, it really didn't quite work out. But she and mm -hmm. I, it's, it's just a small world. I think I did a water buffalo and then she was moving in. And the Phoenix doing, I think she was doing a one-woman show. Wow, small world. That just, you know, popped up. Uh, shows. The only show that I have to push is uh, Tabard Theater is doing Trying. And oh, yeah. um, <clears throat> that will be, I will put a link in the uh, show notes for that. And Melissa Great. Mambuis, uh, and oh, she nice. was episode 140 of the A. We interviewed her. She'll be in the show. That's be opening November the 6th. And that's it for, for I've got what one. I have. If you guys have you know, shout out to things that you want to share, let us know. But um, the one I've got is one of the birthday kids from last week uh, is doing Michael Patrick Gaffney is doing Broadway Flipped with uh, 42nd Street Moon. And that started yesterday and it'll run through next week, it looks like. Um, and of course, like everything else, it's virtual. Um, yeah, that's the only show I've got. You guys Alrighty. have anything? You guys have anything no, you want no to promote? Birthdays. Nope. Oh, I do want to mention one other thing, and that's because a friend of ours, uh, Mara and I, Daniel Tukman, uh, Daniel Tukman, um, is a Mexican national. Uh, he just passed of COVID last week. Oh. So he, he was already having a bunch of health issues, moved back down to Mexico, and things were doing better. And then, bam, he got COVID, was in the hospital two days later, was intubated. Two days later, so we're putting together a memorial for him pretty soon. Wow. You know, speaking of COVID, and I think it's okay for me to mention this, but uh, we've had – you remember Deb Carragher. She's been on yes, the show. Um, she went down to visit her mom in Texas, and she contracted COVID-19. Oh. And was and was you know up and down, but she's doing much much better. But right. so I wanted to sort of, you know, you know, uh, put a positive note on you know those who have been affected by COVID. Not you know it's not necessarily a death sentence, but uh, you not for everybody. Right? It's, it's it's very very tough. But um, but that's it. Uh, and I'm so glad that Deb is doing so well. Did everybody enjoy themselves? Kayla, Natalie, Sean. Jay. Yes, it's been wonderful. Sean Jay. <laughs> Once again, we want to thank you so much, and I will give you my usual blurb. Uh, we're now on Facebook. I'm sorry, not Facebook. We're now on YouTube, so you can like, subscribe, uh, leave your comments, what you like, what you don't like about the show. 
and uh, we thank you so much for uh, supporting us. If you listen to us uh, generally on um, the SoundCloud app or you know on podcasts, we're on pretty much every podcast app that you listen to your podcast. We're on that little purple podcast app on your iPhones and iPads. We're also on Spotify. If you're an Android user, you can use the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com and you can find us. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. We're on Facebook as well. I'm at Reg Space Clay. And I'm at Hoosier Hoosier. Um, folks, do you um, are you guys on well, any Taylor social media? Yeah, we've got, yep. How about you, Sean Jay? Are you on uh, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram? I am. It's um, under the shade tree on Twitter and on IG. And then there's a Facebook page also on Facebook. Right on. Tree, underneath the shade tree. Under- right on. How about you, Natalie? Uh, not for public consumption. I, I, I'm, I'm 22. I use social media, but nothing to promote. <laughs> Okay. Okay. But I mean, if, if anyone wanted to reach out to you to have you direct anything or whatever, can they reach you via Facebook or whatever? Um, yeah. Facebook, Natalie Rich. Uh, yeah, that, that's my Facebook. Um, awesome. Free to reach out. <laughs> very, very cool. Once again, thank you everyone for joining us this mor- wonderful morning. And uh, as we always say, we got to find, find a better sign off. off. And I really, really hope next week we'll have a new president. We'll see. Thank you so much. Yay! Peace out.